On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about some errors of a well-known denominational group. My guess is that everybody's listening has been approached by the Jehovah's Witnesses probably at the front door of their house. Uh, uh, how do we how do we relate to those people? How do we speak to them? How do we answer some of the erroneous doctrines that they that they promote? And we're going to talk about that tonight. And you've picked out five. We could talk about a lot more. But yeah. we're going to talk about five on the program tonight. We want you to join in. Don't go anywhere. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday august 5th 2021 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you jacob kyle's behind his controls tonight in his usual spot kyle welcome to the program it's good to be here glad that you're here glad that you're listening on the other end of the line tonight you can make the program better if you'd participate and send in your comments via email, questions at collegeview.com, via the chat room uh, to the bottom of your video feed, and better yet, uh, on the phone tonight at 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you in any one of those means tonight, but let your voice be heard and help us with the program tonight. Um, we have, Before we get into our topic, I want to just mention that we had a really good weekend gospel meeting with Paul Smithson here at College View last weekend. Uh, we're going to try to use as a, our podcast sermon this week one of the sermons that Paul brought us. Uh, but you can find them all uh, in archived form uh, on College View live stream. If you go there, you can see the not you cannot just hear the the audio, but you can also see the video, and uh, you will enjoy hearing what Paul Smithson had to say. Again, we'll try to use one of those for our podcast this evening, but you can get them all on College View live stream. That's uh, College View live stream, right, Kyle? That's it. There's already a playlist ready for you if you want to watch them all in one little go. But there's they're up there, ready okay. to go. Okay, good deal. Good all deal. Right. All right, so earlier today to our update list, we sent out our questions, as we always try to do on Thursday about midday. Uh, get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to your list. And if you were on our list, you got five. We, we picked out what I think are five fundamental errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a whole lot that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that's rather odd, unusual. Um, First of all, I might want to exhort us all uh, concerning how we ought to respect one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of jokes have been made about the Chova's Witnesses coming to people's doors. And, and, and the only reason why the jokes are made is because they are very evangelistic. They're very dedicated to what they do and believe. And actually, instead of making fun of that, we ought to commend them for that. Their, their determination is commendable. We think they are in error, but they are commendable in their effort to try and spread what they understand to be true. <clears throat> so I would encourage us all not to be rude to them, to show the same kind of interest for their souls that they are apparently showing for ours. Uh, 
I, I have I have developed an approach over the years because I've talked with lots of them, had protracted studies with many of them. Uh, I'm willing to listen to what they have to say if I can perceive that they are willing to enter, uh, willing to listen to what I have to say. That's been that's been a problem uh, in past relationships I've had with Jehovah's Witnesses. They are interested in teaching, but they're not interested in learning. They want to give but not receive instruction. And uh, I feel like it's a, that is a huge roadblock. In other words, there's no openness. There's no free exchange of understandings and ideas from the scriptures. <clears throat> and so I, 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 I pose a challenge to them. You are welcome to come to my house this week. Let's set up a time. You come. We'll have a Bible study. And then I'll come to your house next week. And I've never had one accept that. Uh, maybe maybe one lady, one I think one lady years ago did accept that. I had one study at her house when she had been to our house uh, the week earlier. But typically they will not agree to that. And I've had some some uh, experiences, and, and I really think the reason they won't is because they believe that they have the truth, and the rest of us are false teachers, and they won't let us under their roof a bid to bid us God speak, uh, so to speak, as second John verses nine through eleven teach. So I I kinda would encourage that approach. Be respectful, show interest, be anxious to study, but make sure that it's a fair, open study. And my my test for that has been you come to my house this week, I'll come to your house next week. And if they won't agree to that, I feel like there's not an openness on their part. So that's just a test that I employ. They've got a lot of unusual views, and I think we've got to be a little bit careful about chasing rabbits. For instance, i got a little list here written down. Uh, they, believe that you they, they believe that you can't take a blood transfusion. They believe that you can't salute the flag. They believe that you cannot recite the Pledge of Allegiance. They believe that you can't stand or sing, stand for or sing the national anthem. They believe that you can't vote. They believe that you can't run for office. They believe that you can't serve in the military. They, they believe that you can't observe any holidays, including your own birthday. Uh, and they teach that they can have no association with people who are not. Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, you could chase any and all those and a, and a lot more of the peculiar doctrines that they that they ascribe to, but I think that our approach will be more successful if we focus on a, a, a basic few of their fundamental errors, and that's what I've tried to isolate in our questions tonight. So to our update list, I sent out these things that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They teach that man does not have an eternal soul. Mm -hmm. They teach that there's no real eternal burning hell. They teach that Jesus is a created being, that he's not eternal as the Father is. They, the, I think a well-known thing they teach, but maybe not totally understood, is that only 144 righteous people are going to go to heaven. Other righteous people will inherit the earth. We'll talk about that. And then number five, the earth and the physical universe will never be destroyed. So those those are the things we want to talk about and, uh, that we want to approach. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a relatively pretty new denomination of people. They were founded by a fellow named Charles Taze Russell in 1884. So 
not, they're not even 150 years old yet. Uh, so that, that would make them fairly new on the scene. Right. So Charles Taze Russell was the founder of the Jehovah's Witness movement. He was followed by a, a fellow named Judge J.F. Rutherford. Judge Rutherford uh, followed him as their leader. They meet, the Jehovah's Witnesses meet in buildings that they identify as kingdom halls, kingdom halls of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I think pretty interestingly, they're known to require, and I've got this written down somewhere, where the requirement of their, how much they, they are required to teach. They, they, re, they have quotas for their members of uh, to get out and to knock on doors and to talk to people. They actually assign quotas. Where did I have that written down? I'm not sure I know. Uh, anyway, uh, all, all of their members are expected to do a, uh, a fair amount, several hours every month of getting out in neighborhoods, knocking on doors, trying to set up Bible study. I'm, uh, i got to tell you, I, I, I'm not going to criticize that. I'm going to say that that's a a, a, a good thing, ex- expressing their dedication and zeal, uh, but we think they are wrong. So, uh, without further ado, let's let's dive into that first one. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that man does not have an eternal soul. What they teach effectively is that when when we die, nothing lives on. We cease to exist when we die. At a future time, God may choose to recreate certain people from his memory of those people. Uh, Obviously, he's not going to recreate the wicked. The wicked are gone. And we're going to talk about that in a minute when we talk about a real burning hell. They don't believe in a real burning hell. They believe that the wicked cease to exist. The righteous, on the other hand, could be and would be recreated by God at some future time. Right. But when men die, they cease to exist. They do not have an eternal, immortal soul. Now, one of our problems in addressing that, and, and if you're going to talk with the Jehovah's Witness about this, you've got to, you've got to do your homework because the... The word soul is used in Scripture different ways. Uh For instance, sometimes the word soul is used synonymously with the person or the whole being of a man. 1 Peter 3.20 speaks of Noah uh, and his family saved from the ark. 1 Peter 3.20 Uh, Men were sometimes disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Well, we know that those living human beings, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, were saved, their their whole person was saved in the ark, saved from the flood. So sometimes the word soul is used to refer to the whole person. Sometimes uh, it is used, the word soul is used to to identify the life force within the body. You know, if if I were to suddenly drop over dead here, my body would still be here, but, but it wouldn't be animated. It wouldn't be living. It wouldn't have breath. 
Uh, and sometimes the word soul is used to denote that life force within a being. Uh, in First Samuel twenty four eleven, David said to King Saul, I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. So Saul, Saul wanted to take the life out of David. Okay. But importantly, a third important way that the word soul is used is to describe man's immortal mm-hmm. essence, his, his e- Im- Im- e- eternal spirit or soul. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice, you could kill the body, but only God can kill the soul. And so here the soul is clearly used to denote the part of, the, of man that continues to exist after his body is dead. Mm-hmm. You get that? So that's an important verse, Matthew ten twenty-eight. You could kill his body. If the Jehovah's Witnesses are right, when you killed his body, then he's done. He, he ceases to exist. But notice, Jesus, you could kill the body. Don't fear the one who can kill your body, but's not able to kill your soul. That doesn't make there's, sense. There's a distinction between the living body and the eternal soul. Yep. So Matthew 10:28 is an important verse there. Uh, in in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, uh, uh, this is a really good example. And the Jehovah's Witnesses hate. Luke 16, beginning verse 22, yep. or right in that section of right. Luke 16, yep. the story of the rich man. They hate that passage, and they just have to do all kind of gymnastics to try and get around the inescapable truths that are revealed in that passage. Yep. Uh, well, what did Kent say the other day in his email? He said, uh, talked about being on the horns of a, of, what was it, Kyle? He says, on the horns of an inescapable dilemma or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus puts them in that position. But let, let me just highlight just a few phrases. I won't read it all. Luke 16 and verse 22, Lazarus died. Then it says the rich man died. So they died. But the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. Wait I thought he was dead. I thought he ceased to exist. No. He died, but he still existed yeah. in the spirit realm, in, in the Hadean world. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus. I'm tormented. Rem- uh, 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 and Abraham said to him, son, remember. And and so just a, a conscious, real existence after the physical body is dead is definitely taught uh, in in uh, the story of the rich man Lazarus, Luke chapter 16. The the Jehovah's Witnesses' typical explanation is that's a parable. Well, I don't think it's a parable. It's distinctly different from the other parables. We talked about that on a recent episode of the Virgin Bible Study. But even if you granted it was a parable, Jesus wasn't lying when he told the parable. Yeah, right. Are we on, Kyle? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Uh, no, it, it can't... Uh if you, you, I don't think we should grant that it is a parable, but if it is a parable, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and the fact of the matter is they start to squirm when you get to that story of the rich man and Lazarus because it does lend a death nail to their belief that there is no eternal soul. Yeah, so if you're going to talk with them about does man continuing to exist after the physical body dies, 
show that distinction in Matthew 10:28 and then take them to the story of the rich man and Lazarus and I think you've got them on the horns of an indes- inescapable dilemma. All right, let's see what Kent has to say about that tonight uh, down in Calhoun, Georgia. Thanks for your response tonight, Kent. He says humanity is not eternal in the sense that we did not have a beginning in Genesis 1 verse 27 and chapter 2 verse 7. However, humanity is eternal in the sense of having a soul and inner man that will never go out of existence. Even death cannot destroy this eternal essence of humanity, Luke 20, verses 34 through 38. The passage in Luke was a quote by Christ citing an inspired statement from Moses in Exodus 3, verse 6. When Moses made this statement, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. The premise and conclusion from the Lord's usage of this statement was argued in this manner. God is not dead, not the dead. God is not God of the dead, but of the living. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though dead, are living. Also, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, pictures disembodied souls under the altar because they were slain uh, or, or died to their faithful, due to their faithfulness in, to the word of God. Yet, in spite of their death, these souls continue to live having an eternal nature. Exactly good, right. Too, good to, uh, two good references. Yeah, so, so Kent came at that differently using... Uh, uh, the the uh, case of Moses uh, uh, at the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I am the God of Abraham, go. Isaac, Jacob. And actually, interestingly, Jesus had used that argument against the Sadducees in his day, who also did not believe that man continued to exist beyond uh, physical death. All right. And then Jim up in Kentucky uh, says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, he quotes Jesus, You are, have you not read that which is spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Matthew 22, verses 31 and 32. Same passage that Kent alluded to. In Jesus' response to the error of the Sadducees, he reminded them that God is the God of the living. And thus speaking to the of the uh, current nature of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when speaking to Moses, God said that all the three patriarchs were currently alive. God's promise is eternal life to all who serve him faithfully. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23, the concept of the resurrection infers an afterlife or reanimation by God. Thank you for that, Jim. And uh, Grant's in Tennessee. He references Luke 16, 19 through 31. We see that the rich man Lazarus went to Hades, the abode of departed spirits. We clearly see clearly from this account that there is existence beyond the grave. Acts 2, verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay, teaches us that Jesus at his death went to Hades and that he was in the part described as paradise when at the cross he said to the thief, truly uh, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43. Jesus would have been in the part that the thief and Lazarus are in even now, waiting for the judgment day, the last day when they and all the faithful will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1, verse 4. And he references Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The writer here states that at our death the Spirit, that is our Spirit, will return to God who gave it. Good references from Grant there as well. Lots of different angles to take on this one. Yeah. Now, remember, because because they'll quibble with you on this, uh, and and, uh, I'm not sure that all of the statements took this into account. Remember, they're not denying that if you're a righteous person, you might exist again in the future. Right. They're They're not denying that you might have 
a hope of something later on, that you might be recreated by God. But what they're saying is right now, if you're dead, you're dead. Right now, if you die, you cease to exist. And that's not true to the Bible. The Bible says when you die, you don't cease to exist. Your spirit lives on in in the Hadean world, where, as Grant mentioned, where Lazarus uh, is at this very moment. Well, actually, the rich man is in uh, is still in Hades as well. We had Paul Smithson in one of his lessons this last week and talked about this. That that rich man is still in the torment of Hades right now, and Lazarus is still in the comfort of Abraham's bosom right now. And they continue they've continued to exist ever since their death, and will continue to exist there. At the resurrection, their bodies and spirits will be reunited, but they, it won't be that they'll be recreated or start over or, or that their existence will be re-ignited, so to speak. They've always existed. They've never ceased to exist, and the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that. Dwight and Michelle in uh, the chat room reference 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three: the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal put on immortality. I guess their answer to that would be, as you mentioned, well, the righteous are going to put on this immortal body in, in a recreated form. Yeah, but the, but, but the wicked aren't, and yeah. so are, are going to be raised to destruction. And so we probably need to find some other verses that would reference the wicked to to. Show yeah, I that. think what we really want to press them on is these passages that teach a real conscious existence in this interim time between physical death. And the end. Yeah. The final judgment. Yeah. All right. We're going to get a break late, uh, but we're going to get it anyways. And when we get back, the next era we want to talk about. We want to talk about, the, uh, it's closely akin to it, what we were yep. just talking about, a real burning hell for the wicked. Closely related. All right. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, verse 1. Jesus died to set us free. Free from sin and death. So God tells us not to be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteous living. How will you live today? Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Fire is the test of gold, adversity of strong men. Men often bear little grievances with less courage than they do large misfortunes. Adversity causes some men to break, others to break records. We deem those happy who, from the experiences of life, have learned to bear its ills without becoming overcome by them. All things need watching, working at, caring for, and marriage is no exception. Remember well the advice of him who loves you, though you like it not at the moment. Man, wish I had said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about uh, some errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they are commendable for their commitment to evangelism, and they're, commend- they're commendable for their study of their doctrines, but they are an error, and we want to talk about that 
some of those errors tonight by comparing what they teach with what the scriptures teach. And that's really how you settle uh, whether or not something's true or false is by looking at the absolute standard, the standard of God's word. And it's clear from the standard of God's word that what they're teaching is not in alignment with it. Hey, Jacob, I found where I had a note here about about their quotas that they're expected to fulfill in their personal evangelistic work. They're expected to do a a minimum of 20 hours each week in going out. 20 hours a week or a month? A month, rather. 20 hours a month in going out and knocking on doors. And they're expected to try and generate 12 subscriptions to the Watchtower magazine. So uh, they have to work pretty hard to get that done. All right. Yeah. Good uh, facts there. All right. Uh, number two tonight. Okay. So they also teach, and as we said, this is really connected with what we were just saying. They're, they they are uh, they are of the view that there is no real burning hell. And, and you can see how that would be linked with their former view. The wicked, when they die, they're just dead. They, they, there's no existence. And God is not going to recreate them. As the, and so there's nothing to go to hell. There is no hell. There's no there's no torturous, eternal, burning hell. That is the position that they hold. Now, uh, Jesus, I think, there's, there's, if you're taking notes, just write down a few of these simple verses because Jesus plainly taught otherwise. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus said, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Isn't that something? So, you know, so your body will corrupt, but concerning the condition of the soul, uh, if, if it was just the body, the body would be eaten with worms until it was consumed and the worm dies. But here he's talking about something wherein the worm dieth not. And so he's talking, he's not talking about the physical body's death. He's talking about a continued existence in a place of torture uh, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. A place of ongoing perpetual punishment is clearly there. Here's an argument that I've posed from Hebrews chapter 10. Think about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, beginning. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So notice, under Moses, what was the penalty under Moses? He who despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. We deserve a sorer punishment who have trodden underfoot the Son of Man, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith we were sanctified an unholy thing. Well, how, if, if when you die, that's all there is, then there is no sorer punishment for the wicked today than there was for the wicked under the law of Moses, right? Doesn't seem to make sense. But he, but the Hebrew writer says we deserve and can expect a sorer punishment. Well, that has to be a punishment beyond death because under Moses they died as punishment. And he says we, we're subject to a, a greater punishment than that. It has to be something beyond physical death. Well, our listeners are going to go uh, in some other directions here for us. Uh, let's see what they have. 
Kent and Georgia's references of Revelation 20, verse 10, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone to be tormented day and night forever. The phrase day and night is significant. There is no night in heaven, and there is no day in hell. However, those in a lost condition will be tormented both day and night, signifying the endless nature of their torture and torment. Also, Mark 9:44, Christ speaking of the condition of torment regarding those lost in eternity, states where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. The term worm denotes remorse, and the word fire denotes anguish. The remorse and anguish of these lost individuals throughout eternity will never end. Thank you, Kent. Well, uh, real quickly, back to Revelation 20, where Kent was making that point. It's not just uh, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan cast into the lake of fire in verse 10, but verse 15 of of Revelation 20 says, whoever whosoever was not found written in the book of life was also cast into the lake of fire. So uh, the the beast, the false prophet Satan, are going to burn forever in the lake of fire, and those who's, who are not written in the book, Lamb's book of life are also going to be cast into that lake there of fire. There you go. Jim in Kentucky says the parable of in the parable of the wheat and tares in Mark Matthew thirteen twenty four through thirty and thirty seven through forty three Jesus clearly says that the evil ones are tares and will be cast into a furnace of fire at Mark Matthew thirteen forty two where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth Jesus said and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire hell is the word Gehenna there in Matthew chapter eighteen verse nine. In John 15, Jesus likened himself to a vine and the disciples as branches in John 15, verses 1 and 2. He further said, any branch which does not bear fruit does not abide in him and will be cut down and thrown into the fire in John 15, verse 6. Thank you for that, Jim. And finally, Grant uh, in Tennessee, up in Franklin, Tennessee, says uh, he references Luke 9, verses 43 through 48 and states, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He references uh, Re- Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, as you did there, that uh, they, you'd be cast into the lake of fire if your name's not written in the book of life. And he references Revelation 21, verse 8, which says, But the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire, which burns with brim- fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And, and interestingly, in the chat room, Dwight and Michelle just mentioned that same text, Revelation 21, uh, verse 8. Well, if if you're dead, if, if if you cease to exist, what is there left to be thrown into that lake of fire? Nothing. You're annihilated, yeah. according to them. And then Matthew 25, verse 46, uh, Grant says, these will go into, way into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, that's an important verse to look at that's as well. That's really a great verse that Grant brings out there, and you should write that one down in your notes. Matthew 25, verse 46 the, the wicked will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. And the same words are used as adjectives of the punishment and of the life. How long is the reward in heaven? However long that is, 
is how long the punishment will be in hell. The same exact same Greek word is used as an adjective in both instances. Andrew says, when I was young, I always believed that the fire was literal, but I agree with the recently read email in which the fire is understood to represent anguish. Just as there are no golden streets in heaven, there will be no physical reality of fire in hell. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I have to believe that all such terminology is used accommodatively for us in our in, in our very finite minds to try and picture. But it, it's it's a place of torment. You know, actually, the, the rich man in Luke chapter 16 said, I am tormented in this flame. He actually said there was flame in Luke chapter 16. So uh, however you want to take that. It's not that, a physical realm. but It's not physical. It's, it's obviously not a physical fire. Uh but he said, um, Luke 16, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So in the story of the rich man Lazarus, there was something the equivalent to fire or flame that tormented him. If you want to know any more about that, sorry, you're out of luck. That's, That's all, all I know. We know. That's all we know. Yeah. All uh, right. Let's grab our let's grab our break, Jacob. When we come back, we have to hurry. We have got three more. We've just done two of five fundamental errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses. We're going to get this week's bullet point and get your comments on the other side. Send them in the chat room now. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. When the Apostle Paul had been wrongly arrested and being unjustly persecuted by the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem, he unknowingly directed some harsh words toward the high priest. When those who were standing nearby informed Paul that the man was indeed the high priest, Paul quickly recanted by saying, quote, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Acts 23, verse 5. Although the man was thoroughly corrupt and dishonest, Paul still understood that the office deserved respect and honor. The principle illustrated by Paul's example needs to be imitated by all men. Application can certainly be made to those who hold office in civil government. While we may disagree with the political views of those in power, it is still our duty to, quote, honor the king, 1 Peter 2, verse 17. But the concept of, quote, not speaking evil of the ruler of thy people, unquote, has particular relevance to the church and those who oversee local congregations. We are commanded to, quote, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Unfortunately, Christians are often too quick to complain about and find fault with the elders. It seems that every judgment they make and every decision they offer is scrutinized and inspected with a harsh, critical eye. They are sometimes the subject of gossip, slander, and wrongful accusations. Many have not learned to, quote, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, unquote, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13. Can elders make mistakes? Of course. Can they even make sinful errors? No doubt. But even when this happens, we are told to be very careful in how we deal with them, quote, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear, First Timothy 5, verses 19 and 20. The conduct of some Christians shows that they have not taken these clear instructions to heart. Paul understood the importance of respecting the office of those in leadership positions. We should do the same. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study.
Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And Kyle, you already got your airplay for tonight on the College View live stream. But check out College View live stream. Uh, we're talking about the errors of the Jehovah's Witnesses tonight, um, some of the errors that they have. And again, not uh, ridiculing or um, poking fun here, but we're looking at what they teach and comparing it with what the Scriptures teach and finding some pretty significant deviations here from the truth of God's Word. Yeah. Uh, so the next one we want to talk about is that they believe that Jesus is a created being, not eternal without beginning as the father let me read a couple real quick we're gonna to have to go quickly but let me read a couple quotes this is from judge rutherford in a book called reconciliation he said is it a, it is a dishonor to his name and a reproach to his name to teach the people that there are three gods in one or one in three the great jehovah god is completely separate and distinct from all he is the creator all others are creatures the great jehovah is the god the Son, the Logos, is a God. In truth, when Jesus was on earth, he was a perfect man, nothing more, nothing less. Jesus was not God the Son. He goes on to say he was the beginning of God's creation, and from and after that time was the active agent by whom Jehovah God created all things that were created. Jesus, uh, uh, in another Jehovah's Witness publication called Make Sure of All Things, It says, Jesus the Christ, a created individual, is the second greatest personage of the universe. He was formed countless millenniums ago as the first and only direct creation by his father, Jehovah. All right. So, uh, you know, you may have picked up there. They tried to make a distinction between the God and a God. And actually, when you're studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses, be aware they like to use their own English translation of the New Testament or the Bible. It's called the New World Translation. And they've actually tinkered around with John chapter 1, where, uh, you know, we we go to John chapter 1, and it, it, it states so plainly, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the word there, Logos, was it's, it says the Logos was God. They say the Logos was a God. They slipped in one letter yeah. to try and support their doctrine. And yeah. that, that letter is not in the Greek text. Yes. Uh, and then if you want to know who, who he's talking about when he's talking about the word, the word was God. If you skip down to the same chapter, John chapter 1, verse 15, um, or verse 14, rather, John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of his, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was God. The word was Jesus. Jesus is God. Actually, the context of, of that still argues against their position. Notice, so, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Get this now, guys. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now think about that. Just use your logic for a minute. Without him was not anything made that was made. That excludes him from being something that was made or created. The very context of that, I mean, whether you can, they can quibble about 
the first verse, but the third verse kills their doctrine. Without him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, he is excluded from being a made thing. Yep. Now, I also noticed in that quote uh, that you referenced there from Judge Rutherford that he was the beginning of God's creation, and from and after that time was the active agent by whom God created all things that were created. Well, now, that seems to quote a passage that we know from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus, referring to himself and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Well, Jesus said he was the beginning of the creation of God. How do you explain that one? Thayer says that the word beginning there means, quote, that by which anything begins to be the active cause. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the cause. He's what's caused the creation of God. He's not, it's not talking about he was the first thing created. It's talking about he is what was behind everything that was created. They also like to use Colossians 1, uh, beginning verse 13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. They like to focus on that expression, the firstborn of every creature. But that's a statement of rank, not of chronological order. Because the very next verse says the same thing we were just arguing from John 1. Continue reading there in Colossians 1. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He created all things. Therefore, again, he himself cannot be a created being. So you're saying firstborn signifies rank. Yeah, And if you go on to look at verse 18, that reiterates what you just said. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Yeah. There's his rank Yeah, there. He, he is the firstborn, firstborn from the dead as well. Uh, but uh, we know that he wasn't the first one to come back to life, uh, but he has the preeminence in that. Um, interestingly, God the Father calls Jesus God. Hebrews 1, verse 8, the Father called Jesus God. He said, Thy throne, O God, speaking to Jesus, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The angel, when he spoke to Joseph, the husband of Mary, in Matthew chapter 1, said that the child would be born uh, to Mary, and he would his name would be Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. So Isaiah prophesied he would be God. Uh, again, it, it's very straightforward. Jesus is God. He's, he, is, he is the eternal God, as is the Father, as is the Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, we got through that one. Uh, let's see what our listeners have to say about that. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, John 1, 1 through 5, is a denial of the false doctrine that Jesus is a created being. Our Lord was the eternal word prior to the incarnation. Following his incarnation, he is referred to as the only begotten Son of God. This speaks with reference to his incarnation as deity in a human body, not his eternal nature prior to his incarnation. The term firstborn, prototokos, uh, is used in 
Colossians 1, verse 15. In this, his relationship to God, the Father such speaks regarding that of priority, preeminence, and cause. If Jesus Christ was the first created being of all creation, then he would have had to create himself because Colossians 1, 16 through 17 states that all things were created by him and he's before all things and by him all things consist. That would be both meaningless and ludicrous if Christ were a created being. And thank you for that. Uh, Kent uh, Mohan is up in Illinois. He chimes in here and uses uh, John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one, he says. And so that would indicate there's some some similarities. Equivalence with God. Uh, Jim in Kentucky, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, 1 through 3. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, John 20, verse 28. That's interesting. Why wouldn't Jesus correct him if Thomas said that? There's no correction there. Uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are on earth, invisible and visible. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16. A favorite tactic of the Jehovah's Witnesses to focus on the term firstborn and define it, at, uh, define it as him who was first, the firstborn being, instead of looking at the word in its form of the heir or prince of the house. See Hebrews 3, verses 5 and 6. Thank you, Jim. Uh, for that tonight. And then uh, Grant up in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, references John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we know the word refers to Jesus. Uh, he references John 1, verse 14. Some may try to add the article A in the text in John 1, 1, so it reads the word was a God, but it is not in the Greek text. Thank yeah, you and actually Grant. in the chat room, Andrew has mentioned there isn't an indefinite article in the Greek. So technically the word a, a God the word was a God couldn't be the proper reading of the text because that, that kind of construction doesn't even exist in the Greek text. Yeah. According to Andrew, I, I, I have to study up on that. I'm not sure about that. Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm accepting that to be a true statement. Jesus accepted the, t- the label of being God from Thomas. Uh, Jesus referred, implied that himself. You remember that uh, when the Pharisees uh, called him good, he uh, he made the logical conclusion. Well, why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. So therefore, you must inf- be believing that I'm God. In other words, sort of tongue in cheek, I guess, saying, you know, you guys are admitting, but you don't want to admit that I'm God. Yeah. All right. Let's grab our last break. We're going to go real quick to the top of our two things they're well known for. Only 144,000 going to heaven and uh, the earth will never be destroyed. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Let's get this break. Here we go. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible deficit disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible deficit disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent study found that roughly 7 out of 10 American adults, 71%, had a period of time during their childhood when they regularly attended church. 
A majority of those who did attend church as a youngster still attend regularly today at 61%. But a large majority of those who were not churchgoers as children are still absent from churches today, 78%. That information is via Barna.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. Uh, going to the top of the hour. We're going to go faster. you seen the time? Yes, flying by. We've got to hurry out. here. We've got to really hurry. Okay. So the next thing we want to talk about is the, 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 uh, the peculiar doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses that only 144 righteous people will actually go to heaven to be where God is, in the presence of God. The rest of the righteous, who will again be recreated, they've 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 already they're dead and they cease to exist right now. God will recreate them, and He will place them here on planet Earth, which is going to be refurbished. Uh, planet Earth is going to be remade. It's going to be restored to its pristine condition as existed in the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They will they will live here on Earth, but only 144,000 will go to be with God in heaven. Now, the, re- the, the reason they have that view uh, is from uh, the book of Revelation, and it's that, that's the only place that you would ever read that number. Chapter 7, verse 14, I heard the number of them which were sealed. There were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. On it goes. My question when I'm studying with Jehovah's Witnesses is to ask them from Revelation 7. That's one, that's one of only two places where 144,000 is mentioned. Will all of the 144,000 be physical Jews? Because that's the way it goes on to describe them. They will say no. I can tell you from experience their answer is going to be the answer is going to be no. That's figurative. So they want the number to be literal but the description to be figurative. We don't buy that. The 144,000 is a, is a number 12 times 12,000. There's numerical symbolism a lot in the book of Revelation. That's a number that would suggest fullness or completeness. All of the saved will be there. Yeah. The other place where the 144,000 is mentioned is chapter 14 of Revelation, verses 3 and 4. They sung as it were a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the, and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. I like to ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, of the hundred and forty four thousand, will they all be male virgins? Because that's what it says. Uh, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Again, if you ask them about that, they're going to say no. They believe that among the 144,000 will be men and women alike and not virgins. They want the number to be literal, but the description to be figurative. I say you can't have it both ways. It's all figurative. All right. Uh, so, again, we have, it, we have a hope and there's just one hope that is held out to the righteous. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, verse 11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted today the prophets which were before you. That's our hope, is to be rewarded in heaven. 
And interestingly, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, it says there's one body and one spirit, even as you called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Notice, though, there's only one hope. Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 4, that there's just one hope. The Jehovah's Witnesses are actually teaching two different kinds of hope, a hope for the 144,000 yeah. and a hope for everybody else. Yeah. That, that doesn't fit. Doesn't jive. Uh, Kent quickly said, references Revelation fourteen one through five as a is a figurative word picture of the beginning of New Testament Christianity. These are figuratively speaking uh, the righteous Jews who died before the sacrificial death of Christ. They are now cleansed by the blood of Christ. Hebrews nine verse fifteen. They are figuratively pictured on Mount Zion to begin the new order of Christianity and fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Psalm twenty, uh, Psalm two, verse six; Isaiah two, verses one through three; Romans nine thirty three; Hebrews twelve twenty two; First Peter two, verse six. We must remember to respect the figurative language of the Book of Revelation. He references Revelation one, verses one through three, which calls out the figurative nature of the book. Such does not fit into the cultic program of the Watchtower Society. Uh, that's an interesting take on it. So the, he says these are actual Jews who represent the beginning yeah, of. Yeah, but my point is the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe they that. Don't believe that. Yeah. All right, Mohan. Uh, nope. Let's see. Let's, let's see. Uh, Jim. Uh, only forty hundred forty-four thousand. That in effect would have to mean that no Jehovah's Witnesses themselves would be in heaven. For surely since the beginning there have been at least one hundred forty-four thousand who have served God faithfully. No doubt, at least that many since the time of Christ. Beyond this is the simple fact that Jesus promised his disciples a place with him in heaven, John 14, 1 through 3. Paul said at the end, uh, at the end, saints would be caught up together with Jesus in the clouds, but more importantly, so shall we ever be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Where, wherever the Lord is, that is where his saints will be, and that passage indicates that Jesus never sets foot on the earth, so we would meet him in the air and then go with him. Uh, good comments, Jim. Thank you. And Grant says uh, is, is, that is a figurative number not to be taken literally and represents all the faithful in the gospel dispensation. Okay, good, thank good, you, good, good. All, all right. right, real quickly, let's 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 get and this last one in. Dwight and Michelle say God is no respecter of persons, which it does sort of force that if you're going to have different rewards. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's an interesting take yeah. on it too. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle. They teach that the world will never be destroyed. This is this is linked to the previous point that the 144,000 will go to be with God in heaven. The rest of the righteous will re in, uh, will, will inherit the earth. They'll live here upon a refurbished earth, right. refashioned, restored to its pristine condition of the Garden of Eden times. But that the physical universe will never be destroyed because the most of the righteous are going to live here, not in heaven. The the verse that they cannot get around is Second Peter chapter three verse ten. I know they dread it because it, surely they get this thrown up to them all the time. Second Peter three verse ten: The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall melt. Or excuse me, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The only quibble that I, I have ever heard them make. Is it's talking about that the bad things you know, on earth will be burned up, all the wickedness and the evil and the corruption of earth will be burned up, but that's not what it says. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. They can't get around that verse. 
Let's see what our listener said. Uh, well, Kent references that. Second uh, Peter 3, 6 through 18 is a biblical denial of the Watchtower Society doctrine that the earth and physical universe will never be destroyed. It is interesting to note that in verse 10, that the elements will pass away with a great noise, which speaks with reference to a great crash, and the works that are within will be burned up. Such indicates that the physical universe, including the earth, will lose their form and be returned to the original atoms from which they were created. Hey, maybe there's the Big Bang. Not at the beginning, but at the end. At the end. (laughs) Uh, You might be onto something. Uh, Mohan says, says, the Bible says God will create a new heaven and new earth. A new place of existence, basically, is, is what that expression means. We currently exist in the heavens and earth, and there's going to be not a refashion. It's not the same. It's going to be a new heaven, a new place of existence for God's people, not the same old place. Well, I think Mohan's uh, uh, referencing there, if it's new, then the old one has to uh, be destroyed. Uh, Jim says, 2 Peter 3, verse 10 and 11 clearly state both a burning and dissolving, nothing left. And Grant references 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 as well. Uh, so, yep, that's the passage that uh, that is a real thorn in the side there. So thank you for that from our listeners. Yeah. Good comments from our listeners tonight. A lot yeah. of good participation yeah. there, a lot of good help. Well, we got somebody, we... somebody who's emailed us during the program wants to be added to the list. Remember, you oh, can get, get added yeah. to our update list. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Always remember that College View is spelled funny. College View. College V U E collegeview.com. It's not an exclusive list. Anybody can be on it. Yeah. And you no, can forward no, those emails. No pre-qualification by the way. necessity. See so a, all you have to do is ask. See a subject it that doesn't you, cost anything. No. See a subject that coming up that you think might be of interest to someone that you know. Maybe something you've talked about with a friend at work or a neighbor or something like that. Forward that email to them and invite them to join us on the virtual Bible study as well. The more the merrier. Uh, Kyle, thoughts from you tonight? No, it's a good study. I think we need to be as prepared as we can be because these people do come around to our doors, and we need to be able to engage them in some form of Bible study if they want to participate in a Bible study with us. So we need to make sure that we're... Yeah, and and like I said, be careful about chasing rabbits. You can chase rabbits all day with these folks. But here, I think we have honed in on five fundamental errors uh, I think we can answer them effectively, and, and in doing so, we have taken the foundations out from underneath uh, th- their whole dogma. All right. Good discussion tonight. Uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Hal, for being here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.